Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 24 of This Is A Thing. This week, an interview with actor, singer, producer, director, all-around good guy, John Ambrosino. I had a great time talking to him. I hope you have a wonderful time listening to our little chat. And come on over to Lyric Stage and see us in company through October 9th. I think you'll have a good time. We're having a pretty good time. Uh, We are back from our summer hiatus, so you can expect some more episodes to follow in the next few weeks. Catch up with me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Carrie Pod there. You can check me out on Facebook. It's Facebook slash This Is A Thing. Or catch up with me at CarriePod.com. I'd love to know what you think of the interviews. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll talk to you later. Today, I'm speaking with John Ambrosino. John. Hey. I'm excited to be here with you. I'm so excited that you're here. How's it going? It's going great. What a day. What a day. It's what did fall. you do today? What did I do today? I I woke up a little bit later <laughs> because you. we're doing a show. Yeah. Um, and I had a bunch of um, uh, stuff to do for the production company that I run in New York. So I was doing that during the day and then I just went to the gym and I came here to see you. Nice. What's your, so you go to the gym often. You're fairly fit. Yes. Every day. What do you like? What do you do there? Are you a cardio guy? Are you a lifter? Totally like, cardio. Okay. I um I do uh, interval training uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, which means that I I just I run for about thirty minutes at different intervals so that the body's a little bit um, tricked. Is that like high intensity, like hit sort of situation? Well, so you start off. I start off at a a, a certain level for like five minutes, and then for the next. Three after that, I do something like a sprint. Mm-hmm. And so that just kind of fluctuates your uh, heart rate. Yeah. So your body's not used to like sitting in a tempo because mm-hmm. um, if you do, then the body doesn't actually work as well. Yeah. You know, like, like doesn't fight the calories mm-hmm. or anything. It, it just, it's better for your heart too. Um, and then my other days, I just do flat, like a flat kind of base run. So like a 25 minute flat run. So I don't change the intervals. On the interval days, I do like four miles, and then the other days, I do like uh, three and a half or like a little less. Do you really enjoy running? If I didn't have to run, I don't know that I would. <laughs> okay, um, but I have. It's it's become. I'm a I'm a creature, pretty much a I'm have habit and uh, routine. So like, it's become part of my routine. And when I don't do it, it feels like I'm breaking my routine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it has become a part of me, but I. You know, I don't know. Like, if I felt as good as I do from running, would I run every day? Probably not. Okay. All right. I respect runners. I feel like I I think I've said to people, like, I want to run, like, towards an ice cream truck or away from an angry pack of dogs. But, Perfect. Like, I don't I actually think that's, like, want a good to run deal. recreationally. Um, yeah, no, I get it. It's I mean, it's, uh, people all have their different things about what they do to work out. Another thing that I think is, like, that I've loved, but I've never got into just because. I don't know why I've never got into it. Because I was always a runner. So when I happened upon it, it just made sense for me to continue my my uh, routine to me. Um, but doing Zumba is oh. like so fun. Especially, it's like, it, talk about changing your heart rate really quickly and not even realize you're doing it and have an unbelievable workout. Fun, 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 fun. So I've done that a couple of times. Oh, I should really... We have um, two past guests, Shauna Cerrone and Andrew Giordano. Yes. Um, are both... Well, I don't think Andrew technically is an instructor, but he like will do the master classes or something yeah, like yeah. that. Um, and Shauna teaches, and I was like, I should really try... I think I would like it, because I like to dance. It is so fun. It, it's, that's all it is. It's just basically a... Uh, you feel like you are at a social dance... And someone is showing you how to do the dance that goes with each song every time. And they're never incredibly difficult that you think, oh, I can't do it. And it's just, it seems, it's just a, it's a big old party. Oh, um, okay. So I think it's really fun. I'm going to You find should totally it. do it. Okay, I'm going to find it near me. I'm going to try it out. See it's also it becomes social. Like the, uh, everyone who I know that does Zumba has like, they have lifelong friends from it. Really? Yeah. Oh. Um, uh, actually, my... My dad's sister uh, is like they have this big group of people that they call the Zebes that hang out, and all they do is like they go their Zumba is like their thing, and then they have this like whole social life where they are like really great friends. But the only reason they know each other is because they've been dancing at Zumba. I really love that. It's awesome. 
That's really, really awesome. I've actually gone away. The only reason that I even got into Zumba at all was because I went away on a Zeeb weekend, um, and uh, they were going to one of the women's has a house in Hudson Valley, and they were like, "Oh, Johnsy, please come up." So I went up on the Amtrak and spent the entire weekend with them in Hudson, and it was just them hanging out and having a great time. And then they would go to these different bars, and the music that they danced to in Zumba is popular music. So when the songs come on, they would get up and do the dances that they were doing in the Zumba class. And they would teach me and we would just have this blast. And meanwhile, it was like, I was like, oh, I see why this is a workout. Wow. Uh, it was really great. That's really cool. Did you say John Z? I did. Is that your nickname? It is. Is that just for family? No, actually, um, John Z is my nickname from college. Um, and my family had kind of picked it up from that. Uh, so the people that call me Johnsy are either people from college or my family. Oh, I like that. That's sweet. Specifically my dad okay. started. So like all of his side of his family, I don't know why he picked it up and the others, because my mom calls me Johnny or John. Um, and then, um, yeah, so Johnsy, it okay. actually comes from, God, I don't even know if I should tell you this. It comes <laughs> from like, uh, I went to a, a school in Maine and even my high school had like, like this great hockey team, and we didn't have a great hockey team at my college, even though we were in Maine. But uh, you know, some good hockey players were there because you know it's Maine. There's ice. Um, <laughs> of <true>. course. <laughs> uh, and they all, all the hockey players, always nicknamed themselves with Z at the end. Huh. And um, I was so far from a hockey player, but one of my friends was a hockey player, and. I started calling him Airzy, and he started calling me Johnsy, and then it just became this big thing, and so everyone calls me Johnsy. <laughs> but I'm not a hockey player. <laughs> I kind—I of, would love to picture you out there on the ice, just like it's uh, not going to happen. Ripping masks off, not throwing punches. Happen. Yeah, I would know. <laughs> I'll watch it. It's—I—I I like it for the fights. Is that wrong? That's probably wrong. No, I think that's why everybody actually okay. watches it, and then hopefully you get a goal. Uh, yeah, 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 right. Right. I actually used to cheer. I was a cheerleader for a long time. Um, in my in my high school, there were hockey cheerleaders, so we would really, yeah. <laughs> so wow. we would um, like stand in the bleachers and cheer. There's no like halftime show or anything crazy like that. Although I do think there are schools where like the girls strap on skates or something and like do a routine, but we weren't nice. that fancy. But um, we would sometimes try to start fights, like by taunting people <laughs> with our cheers um and then my I think my favorite moment was the day that like someone shot a puck and it came like out into the bleachers and hit me oh. of course <laughs> I was fine <laughs> but it was like that hurt really yeah it did not it didn't feel good where it did it hit you in the hands fortunately not like but my still face even that's like not in the face but the hand would be a place that would hurt really bad. Yeah, because your like, hands are already cold. Yeah, in and then that they're situation. like they're little, and there's yeah. not a lot of fat on them. Like, I mean, it would be better if it hit your deltoid. Something meaty, like my yeah. butt, or um, yeah, anything, <laughs> like anything but your like little extremities. Yeah, I would think it's it like for, for a day. I was like, I got hit with the puck, but you know, it's all good. Puck. Did you win? I can't. I can't recall. Let's remember. say you did. So it was all worth and it. And we won, yes. Yes. That, that <laughs> spurred the team on to victory. Plymouth North. Boop, boop. Oh, uh, so funny. Uh, so to go back a little bit, so you're from Avon, I am from Avon, Massachusetts, yes. yes. And you went to Fair. I did. Correct? Yes, I did. So did you do track when you were in high school? Because you were um, talking about running I did, and I, having a routine. Okay, I have so. a very interesting sports history. Okay. So uh, when I went to th I went to Thayer in sixth grade, so I went to their middle school and then on to their high school. Um, and my dad, um, my, my biological father was a big um, football quarterback. And when I was at Thayer, I was like, interested in theater, and he was like, well, if my kid's interested in theater, then I, he can't be gay, so I'm going to have him play football. <laughs> oh, gosh. And so I was like, I'll, I'll totally do it. I'm in. I'm in. Let's do it. So I played... Um, was that inappropriate for me to say on your iPod blog? No, my okay. iPod blog. I mean, what do you call it? I love you. iTunes blog. <laughs> podcast. Your podcast. There we go. Oh my God. Do not, anybody who's listening to this, please do not tell people that I'm not that hip because I'm really kind of not. But like, let's pretend we are for the next however long we talk. I, I think that's what people should start calling it is an iPod blog. Yeah. I'm going to rebrand. Yeah, yeah. Just totally put it out there. Yeah. Um, so I played football. Oh, I was also very overweight. 
Oh, really? So, yeah, I weighed more in sixth and seventh and eighth grade than I do now. Um, so, football, natural, natural sure. fit. So, I was a right guard and a defensive center. I'm nodding like I know what those, I'm not good. Just a big lineman. Which okay, is like, you know, it. the guys that block people. Not even, I wasn't anyone that ran down the field. And I wrestled in the winter. And wow. uh, in the spring, I was a lacrosse goalie. So you were thing, so sporty. You'd think, right? But I did play a lot of sports. But then I, um, I started losing weight, like just because I started to become, I wasn't a kid anymore. And I was doing all this activity. And by like, just around eighth grade, I started to shed a lot of weight, and we had a swim team, and I'd always been good at swimming. So I went out for the swim team, and I, I made the team, and so I ended up being a swimmer, a competitive swimmer from that point on through high school, and I really got lean, and in ninth grade, started running cross-country instead of football, mm-hmm. and I started running track instead of playing lacrosse after my sophomore year in high school. So I didn't really run until I was in, in high school. But still, that's like, that's a lot of sport. Like, you're yeah, an I did athlete. a lot of sport. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would say that. <laughs> I don't, like, that's phone. nice. <laughs> but I play a lot of team sports, but I don't know if I would call myself an athlete. I was best at swimming, and that's what I loved doing. Um, but I love being on a team. Do you still swim now? No, I don't. And here's why. Um, if I If I go to... A p- indoor pool and I smell chlorine I immediately get nervous oh boy yeah so um which is totally fine except I don't really want to do that as my routine way of uh you know keeping fit or being cardiovascular because it doesn't feel good sure. it feels like competitive to me yeah and running does not feel competitive to me it just feels like this is something that I'm doing to maintain my health if that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. Especially, I, I would imagine that having a like a low level of stress every day would counteract some of the benefits of like swimming and yeah. trying to it's get in shape. Like, and but I love being in the water and I like to swim. I just don't want to do it as my workout. Yeah, it was fun. my it was it was my like serious competitive sport, and I feel like oh, I'm not good enough anymore. You know. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you are, but mm. you know. Um, but you don't have to do it if you don't want to. I will not be doing that. Okay. <laughs> so did you do theater in high school as well? Like on top yes. of all that? You were really yes. busy. Yeah. No, I did. Um, I always was doing theater. I did theater in middle school and theater in high school. Um, my high school did three shows a year. I used I, I, I always did the musical. Um, and then I did a couple of the straight plays. Sometime, once we did two musicals in the year, and I didn't do both musicals, but... Um, I love doing theater so much and uh, singing and acting, so I I always did it. And it worked out that um, at my high school, uh, it was set up that you could do both. So it was never that you couldn't play the sport and not do the theater thing. You just had to put time in. So it would be like you'd finish your, your athletic practice, and then you would go to rehearsal. That's great that they had it so it wasn't like a conflict yeah, because I, I don't think that's always the case. Like sometimes they make you feel like you have to choose, and that's not. We all have multiple interests, especially at that age. You're just trying to kind of figure out what you're into. Yeah, so. I was. I mean, I was very lucky that. I mean, Thayer was so supportive of of everything of, of creating a well-rounded student, and I. I also think that Thayer is small enough that if they didn't do that, then one thing would suffer. You can't. I mean, it, I, my graduating class had 103 kids in it, so it's like you know. If, if half of those kids are doing team sports and some of them are the good singers and actors, you have oh, making them choose would right. make the other program suffer. So I think it was also a way of keeping the school healthy and all of those things and showcasing all of the students' talents. Um, but I was lucky because that was the way it was, so I could do all those things. Uh, and I also think it's, um, it's often, you're right, that, the, uh, that schools would be like, you know, are you a theater kid or are you a sports kid? But I actually think that but learning from both aspects of those two different types of teams is really important and actually informed how I do the other thing. Sure. Um, because they're, they're two different ways of, um, you know, like community socializing and working towards a goal. So I think it was, a, you know, a real benefit to be able to, even though I would even, I would consider myself not an athlete first, but uh, to as a theater student or as a theater actor, to 
play on a sport, athletic team and learn how that kind of organization works and how you can push towards goals and then also the opposite way mm-hmm. was really important to me. And, you know, what we do in the theater is such a physical thing and maintaining your body and your voice and all those things have some connection to, you know, physical education or or sporting or athletics. So. Yeah, I definitely, I think that that makes perfect sense. Um, and then, so when you went to college, because you went to Bates, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you... You've done did, a lot of research. Um, I did a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you did, you studied theater, but you had a concentration in directing. Like, That's do you correct. think that that decision was at all informed by, like, liking being on a team and some of the stuff that you were just talking about? Or was uh, that for a different reason? I was always when I was a kid, creating shows and putting them up. And I loved the opportunity to dive into telling the story. And um, when I got to Bates, I don't think that when I went to Bates, I had ever gone thinking, I knew I was going to study theater, but I know I had already started to have a really big interest in directing when I was like a senior in high school. And I, um, I think that I knew that I kind of wanted to study that. Um, so I never, I did do conservatory, I did a conservatory semester in London that was spe- specifically acting. And of course I took all the acting classes that I could at Bates, but I was never intending to be an actor. I was always intending to be a director. Hmm. Um, I just love the idea of telling telling the story. So that's why I chose to concentrate in that and focus my efforts on it. But, you know, I'm very enthralled by everything, all the pieces that go into creating the theater that we do. You know, like I, I'm, I'm enthralled by design and I, I took all the design courses I could and I took um, dance classes and I took, you know, uh, the academic study of theater because I all think it feeds into how we end up putting the, mounting the work. <laughs> yes. For those of those listeners out there, I'm just saying that's a that's a Carrie special mounting the work. <laughs> I may have been known to say that from time to time. <laughs> um, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I think that that I agree. I mean, I think that all of the things that you learn about do, team effort um, factor into any aspect of how you approach theater or have for me. So my process does happen to be a little bit steeped in I guess I would say has a lot about being on an athletic team or being um, putting together some sort of social organization around team Um, and I I think actually a lot of things in life are like that Uh, but I you know they did a um, study Harvard um, Business School did a study not too long ago I think actually it's probably long ago I like to think that nothing was long ago because I'm not getting old, everyone. No, nobody is. No, I'm staying exactly the same. Uh, about how people in the arts, specifically theater, were the best able to adapt quickly in a business scenario. Hmm. Because what we are trained to do, whether it's on, on purpose or not, is be able to go in, see something quickly, figure it out, make it happen, do the work, and move on. And so one thing that people in the theater don't really tolerate is kind of mediocrity because they don't have time so you know you you, you're having the rehearsal process so and so is not pulling the weight and you've got to figure out how to get around that as quickly as possible because the show opens here right um and so it was kind of an interesting and maybe it was harvard harvard business school did it as like a uh there's a like a business psychology um i think you can actually major in business psychology or like master in business psychology Mm -hmm. um and I've always found that kind of fascinating because it, it's true about what we are as humans in a way. Um, and it's not to say that we're mean or or cold. It's just that we are trained to get a project done quickly and at its best quality. So we immediately figure out how to do that and we know that it's going to be done and then we're going to move on to the next one. Whereas uh, in other you know aspects of the world, we, we kind of see what will happen and will will we be able to get this t- to grow in this manner we in the theater it's kind of like well I don't have time to figure out if we because we don't have time right so time is the factor that makes that happen but it's interesting that I think they found that in theater artists that makes a lot of sense because if I think about 
my own personality and like my other jobs that mm-hmm. I've had because I've done a lot of like project management mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, and I have many things I can work on, but I feel like one of my strengths is like being flexible and being like, let's not worry about this problem right now because like we have a deadline. So like, why are we sitting around like talking about it? Right. And like, like we just need a plan because we have to get the thing done by whenever, like we can go back later and have a postmortem, like if you really want to, but like for now we just need to like get to, from A to B. So like, how are we going to do that now that there's like a roadblock in the right. middle? But I've never really thought about that in relation to staged work and things like that but that's that's totally true like even when you're in performance you know like if say i don't know there's a dog on the stage which happened the other day which perhaps happened um you know it's like you have to deal with it in the moments like what are you going to do you can't just stand there and be like this is unacceptable there's a dog here and like have a conversation about it it's just like a problem or a mm, not a problem, but no, it's, it's like just you just have to make have a decision, with. right? Yeah, like you yeah. have, it's like we could sit around and talk about all of if, when doing a theater production, you can sit around and talk about all of the possible options and which one, and then come to a decision about which one is going to be the best. But we don't have time to do that. So it's usually kind of like, this is the best decision or the one we're making. Right. Hope it works out. And if we're going to go down this path, we're mm-hmm. going to choose this path and hope that it succeeds. So those kind of like, I'm going to say it. There's a judgmental quality to it, and hopefully um, you're making a good judgment. Um, and then that, once you've like cut out the rest of the possibilities and you say, this is the direction we're going, then everyone kind of goes, this is the direction we're going. How do we make this direction the best direction? And yeah. then you come across those problems as you go, and you keep kind of like um, weeding it out. And then what happens at the end is what happens at the end. It's not necessarily that like you've thought of every possible option, you've gone through every possible way, and based on hours and hours of research you've come up with this is the best one it's like no here we are did it work right and so i that i mean that's kind of an artistic process in general right yeah just because it's about creating something that comes out of you personally yeah from your own experience and yeah that's so interesting i'm gonna be thinking about that for a while actually (laughs) are we gonna be we'll use it tonight yes we'll we'll make all the choices We'll be making all the choices all on the fly tonight, all and it'll be amazing. <laughs> um, so you had the direction, or uh, the concentration in directing um, at Bates, and then I didn't realize, so Animus Ensemble, I have wow, heard of. Wow, deep. But, <laughs> um, good. but I didn't realize that that was you. Yes. That was, when I graduated school, I started a theater company in Boston, a nonprofit theater company, and how it happened was, I, you know, I was, had, had left Bates, um, I had a part-time job in retail, and I immediately um, called my mentor from Bates, and I said, I want us to at least do a production in Boston. Let's do it. And she said, okay. And I, she was the head of design, uh, and I said, will you design the show? And she said, yep, no problem. And so we just started working on doing um, a production which was Corpus Christi by Terrence McNally. And I called Boston Pride and I said, we want to do this project in conjunction with Boston Gay Pride. I met with them. They agreed. And we did this production at the Institute of Contemporary Art Theater on Boylston Street, which was this 140-seat theater um, in the basement of the Institute of Contemporary Art. And um, we did all the fundraising and all the casting. I directed. She did all the design. And when we were done, it was kind of successful. And I, I said, you know, I think that we should name our theatrical child and, and make this something. And so we created Animus Ensemble. And um, it was a nonprofit theater here that worked out of, in Boston that worked out of the Boston Center for the Arts, mostly the Plaza, although we did use the Black Box Theater uh, on a couple of productions. And um, I ran that for five years. That's really awesome. You're like a go-getter. So you like had a vision and you made it happen. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I don't You're know if I'm so a uncomfortable with that kind of <laughs> Like, I don't know what to say about that. I, I did start a theater company is what I will say. Yeah. Um, and I loved doing it. And I was happy. You know, in, in some ways I was, yeah, I was so naive and, and stupid in some ways. I was kind of like this. I want to be a director and no one here is going to hire me as a director. I was working as an assistant director around town. And I was like, well, I'm, I just, if I want to direct, I guess I'm going to have to make it happen. Yeah. So that's why I did it. I love some, that. You want to do a thing, so you just make a just thing. Just do the thing. Yeah. Do the thing. Do do the thing. 
do whatever the, the thing. thing is. Whatever the thing is, doesn't matter. Go out and do it. And it was, I mean, it was, I also cashed out of this mutual fund that I had in order to rent the theater. And at the time, I can remember my mother being like, I can't <laughs> believe this is happening right now. And I was like, Mom, I'm starting a theater company. And it was, she was being smart, probably. Um, but it was not a lot of money. It was not. It was like, I mean, I always think any amount of money is a lot of money. But it was like $1,300, right? And the mutual fund was supposed to like grow and become my retirement. Sure. But it was the best decision I ever made in that it kind of launched my life in theater and taught me so much about producing and about directing and 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 really kind of made it was like a springboard from what would be my theater life my theater career in my 20s at least my early 20s so you know I've never it's like one of those things that I look back on and I go like this I would never change that for a minute I don't even miss that $1,300 being there I never think why did you cash out of that mutual fund and put and rent the basement theater at the Institute of Contemporary Art I never think about where that money's gone, I think it was like just part of the deal and part of the choice and one of the best choices I've ever made. However, it is no longer in a mutual fund, just so we're all aware. <laughs> you're like, those, that um, interest is not, it's not it, accruing. It did not accrue. <laughs> and um, I think there was a penalty involved in it too. So. Oh, I'm sure there was. Oh, definitely. At least the taxes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But well, you know. It's not as bad as like like cashing your 401k out. No, and, and it was also... Not, I mean, it wasn't. It was just I was twenty one. It was money that I had earned over the summer. And yeah, I thought I was being smart by putting it in a mutual fund. And you then were I was like, actually. That's an incredibly responsible decision. Yeah, I was responsible. But then I was like, I'm going to rent a theater. So, um, well, I mean, maybe that was, in a lot of ways, that that maybe that's why it wasn't a mutual fund. It was like that's what it was just sitting there, being itself until I needed it for something better, and that was the thing I thought I needed and was better. So, yeah, it's well, I mean, that's money. That's an investment for your future. And yeah. that helps launch the things that happened in the future. So totally, there you go. I think it's good. <laughs> I think it's great. I, w- I would never change that decision for anything. It was, it, and I. But I always look back on it. If, you know, when people say, you know, about being in the theater or doing, and I was like, you know, just this is what I did, and I don't ever regret the decision to do it. It was scary at the time, but it's you know forging your way in any industry is about making a risk, taking a risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what what better time to, to risk $1,300 than when you're 21 oh, sure. and can bounce back right after that? You Absolutely. know, it doesn't seem as as devastating or... Although it just seems like everything that in the theater is always like that. So I think that that's how you have to follow. Just follow life. Just do it. <laughs> On that note, we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back. Hey, it's me. I'm sorry to interrupt. I know some of you are a little freaked out right now. Like, how is she doing this? It's almost as though this interview isn't live. I know, technology is insane. But I have some news, and the news is this. This is a thing is now available on Stitcher. Stitcher has apps for iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Stitcher is radio on demand. Download the free app to listen anytime, anywhere. You can create custom playlists with your favorite podcasts. Also, you can rate and review your favorite shows like this one and share with your friends on Facebook or other social media. For those of you that really love iTunes, don't worry, we're not going anywhere. And you can head on over there and rate and review the show. And we're back. Uh, So I have a couple of questions. Well, obviously, this is an interview, so there are many questions. Uh, (laughs) Is that how it goes? Yeah, I feel like I always preface it like, I have a question. Duh, why are you here if I don't? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So you were doing, like, on a directing kind of track. Like, what made you decide to start performing again or going after performing Um, yourself? God. I just think that I was watching... A, l- a lot of people and directing a lot of people and I thought I, I want to do that and I was when I went back to acting I was 26 or 27 and specifically I really wanted to sing again and I hadn't sung in so long and I was so scared of it there's a little bit there's a, I, I, I don't know if the, I don't know if I'm a perfectionist but I I would say there's a little bit of the perfectionist in me um, and I was very frightened of like not being perfect I mean even to this day I have kind of an issue with it. Um, so I never, I don't know that I really thought my singing voice was, was good enough. And I don't know that I ever really thought that my acting chops were good enough and that people wanted to watch me, which is kind of important. 
so I just you said, guys missed the face you just made. Yeah, right? I made a huge face. Funny. It's kind of like that's. I mean, if people don't want to watch you, then you probably shouldn't do it. Um, <laughs> but or if you can get them to watch you, I should say that too. Um, but I um, so I just did it again. Just did it, and I. I literally went to a vocal teacher here who is, I would still consider my vocal teacher. I don't really coach with anyone in New York City at all. Um, and I started singing lessons. And I mean, I guess I guess it was in my first couple or three, maybe two months in. He said, okay, John, what do you want to do? And I said, what do you mean what do, you, what do I want to do? And he said, what are you going to do with this? And I said, well, I, I, I just, I guess I want to audition for a show. And he was like, okay. So I, I literally auditioned for this community theater in Arlington, and I ca- got cast, and I was like beyond thrilled. I started working for the Wang Center in Boston at this time. So like I was like, okay, I'm going to do this little show on the side. So I did the show, and I, I loved it. It was probably the most completely wrong casting for me as an actor ever could have happened. But um, I loved doing it, and I loved singing, and I was just like, you know what, I'm going to... I'm going to get on the bus and go to New York City and go to one of those open calls and see what that's all about. I just want to do it. So I got on the bus. Oh, and I said to my vocal coach, so when I go down there, what should I do? What do I do? I just hand them the paper music. And he was like, oh, you're so cute. Because he teaches like people who are really going after this career in yeah. college and they all know what to do. And I don't know what to do. And of course, I'm like near 30. So he was like, you get, you know, non-glare paper protectors and put them in the binder and these is the so I went down and I auditioned for this national tour of a kid's show based on the book, uh, The uh, the Great Adventures of Flat Stanley, um, which is a book from the 1960s, which is now in the curriculum of most elementary schools. So I was just like, whatever, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to do yeah. this. So it was like a total cattle call, non-union, like hundreds and hundreds of people there. And I thought, well, I don't really know what I'm going to do. And I didn't warm up. I mean, I was... Whatever. <laughs> so I was scared, but um, I I did my thing, and I got called back, and then I ended up booking Flat Stanley, like the role of Flat Stanley, and I was like, mm, I don't know if I want to go on this tour. <laughs> like, I'm like a little worried about it. It's a kids' tour. I don't yeah. know that I'm really good with kids, and I, so I turned it down. <laughs> oh my gosh! Really? I know I did. I turned it down, and they said, and they were like, really? And I said, yeah, I I, I just don't know if this is where I am in life. And they're like, okay. And they called me back and they said, listen, it's new music. It's a new musical, so we're doing a workshop. Would you just consider coming down for two weeks to New York City and do the workshop as Flat Stanley? And I said, sure. Yeah. So I went to New York in May and I did this workshop. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, this is fun music. And the cast was the actual, the cast of the workshop, sub minus me, because I had been foolish and turned it down, were wonderful and unbelievable and I was I came back and I was married at the time and I said to my ex-husband my now ex-husband I said I think I have to do that tour and he said I think you have to do that tour too and so I did I called him back and I said um I know that you're going into auditions for this role next week but my experience was so unbelievable I I I really I really want to do it and so they were like well we've already booked the the hall and we're like seeing these people so <laughs> let's see how the casting goes yeah. and I was like okay and I felt bad about it but yeah um they ended up calling me back and saying we'd we'd love for you to do the to do the role and I ended up going out for a year in this crazy role of Flat Stanley and the musical was called the musical adventures of Flat Stanley um but you know like I got to come back through Boston towards the end of the run which I think we were in March or May and play the Colonial, which was remarkable, and uh, that was kind of my launching point about what I, being back as an actor. Um, and from there, I just kind of kept working. So, uh, sidebar, like, what kinds of adventures does Flat Stanley go on? So, if you don't know Flat Stanley, Flat Stanley is this little kid. He's just bored with life. He can't, he needs to get out of town. He's so over everything that's happening, and he kind of just wishes at bre- uh, to his uh, little brother one night before they go to bed that something would happen to take him out. And in the middle of the night, his bulletin board above his head wakes up and talks to him and is like, you really want this to happen to you? And it falls on in the middle of the night, and they wake up in the morning, they take the bulletin board off, and Flat Stanley is now flat 
as a oh. as paper. And so they all wake up and they don't know what to do. The parents are going crazy. And then he's like, you know, I've always wanted this, this adventures, these adventures put me in an envelope and send me around the world. And so that's what they do. Oh. And he gets sent around the world to all these different places and he learns about different cultures and, and meets different people. And, and he decides at the end of the story that um, even though these adventures and meeting all these people is really important, he just really wanted to be home with his family. And so he kind of comes to the realization that he didn't need to do that and he didn't need to be flat and he goes back to his, his family, the lamb chops. Oh, okay, that's very sweet. That's all really sweet. It was, and it was. It was what a what a great experience. I mean, the kids that saw that show were just enthralled. They were screaming at the stage. I mean, they had they. So the curriculum in the elementary schools now is they literally make a flat Stanley of themselves and send it to a relative that's not nearby, uh-huh. and that relative has to take it somewhere, and um, take a picture of it and write a letter back and explain where they are in the picture. And what they visited, and then the kid then presents that to their schoolmates about um, where where they went or where their flat Stanley went. And it's a way to learn about geography and culture. And that's awesome. Yeah, neat, right? Yeah, I've it never was very heard of cool. That. Yeah. Wow. Okay, flat Stanley. Flat Stanley. I'm into it. <laughs> I know, crazy, right? And I was a redhead in flat Stanley. Ooh. And also, when I was on tour with Flat Stanley, I got to meet Elaine Stritch for, and it was one of the best things of my life. So I will say that. Um, even, even in a, in a bad red wig, I was thrilled by everything that that tour was. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was a wig. You didn't have to dye your hair. No, I had okay. a wig. But you know, you can't see me, podcast audience. But I have really dark black hair and dark eyebrows and everything. So, you can imagine it's kind of arresting. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Carrie can attest I'm to this. To it me, right be a redhead. I just, I can't, I don't even know if I can tell, <laughs> tell you what we used to say about it, but, um, yeah, it was Are there pictures on the internet? Uh, yep. Okay. I'm going to do a little more sleuthing. I found an article that looks like it was like pulled down. So I could see something about Flat Stanley in like the, some paper in Marshfield or something like that. But then Probably. when I try to click into the article, it's gone. So gone oh we're getting a phone call we are getting we are in a mr spear of lunas's office he's very popular um and his phone's ringing we're gonna take a break because i don't know how to make it stop (laughs) hello again i forgot to tell you some things earlier number one your hair looks so good today like really great like i don't know if you got a new conditioner or some other type of emollient or or something that you're using in it but i mean you look fantastic um here's a couple of other things i wanted to share with you if you have any questions or comments about the show suggestions for guests or you just want to tell me how much you love it uh, you can email me at carriepodnow at gmail.com. You can also look up my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash thing. We are also on Instagram. You can find me at carriepod. Um, or on Twitter, it's at carriepod there as well. I would love to hear from you, and thanks so much for listening. Bye. Okay, we're back for the record. Spiro, we didn't answer your phone or anything. But we, we do want to know who called. Yes, I'm curious, so we're going to need to know about that call. We do need to know uh, so one other item I wanted to ask you about. So you were in Jersey Boys yes. in the Vegas cast mm-hmm. for two years. Mm-hmm. That in and of itself sounds amazing. Was. But I'm also fascinated by the fact that, so you lived in Las Vegas for two years. True. What's that like? Because in my, I've been to Vegas, but in my head it's just like the strip. It's like, you. Oh, did you live in the Venetian? But that's probably not true. That's not true. So <laughs> what's that like? Um... Vegas is one of the most interesting places I've ever been. I, um, I loved it so much. I loved doing that show so much. I loved everybody out there that, were, that I did the show with so much. Um, the actual town of Vegas is really built around these casinos that are just in a line down Las Vegas Boulevard and always has been. And, uh, so something that's very interesting is that you find the most high-end restaurants, the um, these very expensive stores. We're talking like, you know, 
Wolfgang Puck opening his new um, steak restaurant or what we call that a um, steakhouse and or Oscar de la Renta opening in the win and it's like this unbelievable kind of th- things that you would consider like when those things are around that um, we're dealing with people that can afford that type of stuff all the time. The interesting thing about Vegas is that that's not actually the visitor. Um, it's not the person who is the visitor, and it's not the person who lives there. Um, there are certainly people who go through Vegas and can do those things and will do those things, um, but it's it's kind of an gr- unbelievable cross-section of wh- what our nation is um, and taught me a lot about when we talk about selling entertainment, who we're playing to. Hmm. Um, certain shows do not work in Vegas. Um, Jersey Boys was a huge hit in Vegas. We ran for eight and a half years, just closed um, three weeks ago. But, you know, in terms of what entertainment is, when we can grab someone's attention in this very busy world for an hour and a half to two hours, is a very, it's kind of an interesting study. So I learned a lot about that. I learned about, um, you know, remember, it's a transient town. So um, people are coming to visit. And they're leaving. So around different holidays or different things, the p- people in our audience were completely different than the p- people that were there the week before. So who you play to on Super Bowl weekend is completely oh, right. different than who you play to on uh, Christmas week or um, in on July Fourth. All of the, the uh, or or um, Chinese New Year, which is huge in Vegas. Really huge. Um, so. It, it was kind of interesting to see, like, who bought our show and who didn't. Huh. And uh, when they did buy the show, how they reacted to it. All that to be said, that the people who live in Vegas, the culture of Vegas, is definitely mostly about taking care of that customer and um, entertaining that customer while they're there. Hmm. Uh, so the culture is very focused on that and the kind of... Um, uh, it seems to me when I was out there, and this has even changed since I've been there, um, the, you know, there are the people that are on the strip and there are people off the strip. And we spent most of our time not on the strip uh, trying to find our, our, our place in, in, in the local area. And, and, and all of the people in the cast had different ways of dealing with that. There are different you know, areas of town. And you know, the people that were raising families usually lived in Henderson, I was single and I lived with someone in the show and we lived right beside the strip because we wanted to be close. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was um, it was a really interesting experience that I treasure and love and um, I wouldn't... I left the show because I did not want to live in Vegas. I did mm. not want to do that anymore. Is it Was it exhaust? Like, I feel like there would be something about it that would be sort of exhausting after a while living there or is that um, something you can remove yourself from if yeah. you just decide to move like a few blocks away then when you're not you know at the theater you can just kind of pretend you're yeah in I place? think that um I think living in New York New York can be really exhausting to everyone I don't think Vegas is exhausting unless you want it to be huh okay so like we go on to the we go on the strip. We do the show at night, and we go and we have our lives outside of that, which involves unbelievable weather, um, and you know, just kind of, you know, when you're not on that strip, like being in a suburb. Okay. Um, so it, you you can remove yourself from that. I think if you're a tourist and you're there for two days or three days or however long you're going to be there, you will be exhausted by the end of it because it's kind of like when you go down to New York for the weekend and you're like, I need to see everything because this is so sensory overload but if you live there you don't necessarily have to be sensory overloaded and most people don't even go to the strip i mean i don't think that i don't think that we really pulled a lot of our customer for jersey boys even from the locals they just don't do it because they're like oh god i gotta go park on that strip and all the people there i can't get it and that's what i've been doing during the day anyway because that's what they usually do um but it was Awesome. And if you have a chance to go to Vegas, you should go to Vegas. Uh, so what do you think it was about Jersey Boys that made it work in Vegas? Like you were talking about the things that do and don't work. Um, I think the people that go to Vegas in general are there because of gambling. And that's rapidly changing, but I think that's mostly the thing that they've gone to do. And then they've also gone to party. 
And so they don't really, they, they want to be entertained. They want an entertainment moment. Um, but they don't want it to be, take away too much of their time mm-hmm. because it, it, it's really going to cut into, um, you know, what happens there. Uh, I think that Jersey Boys is an, uh, if you have, have you seen the show? I have not. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't really, I mean, everyone knows Frankie Valley music, whether or not they know they know it or not, but the amount of show stopping hits that are in the show is it, it just speaks to so many people, cross cultures. Like for example, during Chinese new year packed and there's a huge language barrier there, but they, the audience was willing to forego the fact that they might not understand the story to hear the song sung. Oh, okay. And so there, I mean, and that's not every week, but I'm saying there's an element to that about it. You know, there you can get by it if there's a language barrier. I mean, the show is actually really a heavy book show, so it's kind of interesting that they still love it if they don't understand everything. Um, I think that it, it's a slice of culture that really speaks to a bro- really broad um, group of people. Everyone can kind of understand it and wants to understand it. It's touched so many lives that people will take a chance on it. Similar to Mamma Mia, which was out there for um, six years and did very well. Yeah. Um, they don't usually do very well with sophisticated stories there. Um, those We leave that to New York City. Sure. Or we have until this point. Um, like a checkoff play. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to run the win. Um, but even, you know, like it's funny, Avenue Q decided, I'm not an expert on this, but Avenue Q decided to forego the tour the first year because they got a big contract at the win in Vegas, and it was not a hit at all. That's surprising to me. Because if you think about it, it's it's very situational. It's about these fun, jokey things and these puppets. You kind of have to be close. Oh, that's the other thing. Most theaters in Vegas are these big, huge theaters that are, I mean, in, in, in New York, we're so lucky that those theaters were built for acoustic viability. So most of the time when you're in a Broadway house, you're never more than 40 feet from the stage. In Vegas, you can be much further away from the actual action. So when you're talking about like doing little situational oh, things with okay. puppets, you know, it just doesn't play, it's not a spectacle and it doesn't play to that audience. And so they, I, I don't say they're bored with the show. I just think that they're expecting something different when they go into that. Right. Um, you know, things that worked unbelievably well out there were Mamma Mia and... Um, Jersey Boys and The Lion King did a big stint out there although that didn't even last as long as I think they thought it was going to probably because it's family bent yeah um but so, you know something that I think would do amazingly well out there is Motown like oh something, yeah like even though that has a story that this that type of audience out there will buy that story to hear those songs sung really well mm-hmm. and then you've kind of brought them into something and they feel like they've really got a something great out of their evening um I was thinking of like, be- like something like Beautiful. Beautiful True, would do right? really well out there. Um, beautiful is also kind of like, it's very book heavy, Beautiful. Mark Bruni, director, who's also directing Trevor, which I'm producing. Oh. Um, if you haven't seen that yet, you should go see it. It's really great. Um, but those are the type of things that I think they buy out there. And then there's also, you know, I, I, spectacle is a big thing. Like the, the Phantom of the Opera did quite well at the Venetian because of its spectacular quality. So there's something about souping up what we've already sold people in New York mm-hmm. that will work as well. Um, but you're really playing to the broadest spectrum in the biggest theater that you can imagine. So all of those things kind of factor into the experience of the audience and whether or not they're going to buy it. That's so interesting. I feel like um, that's a great experience to have as an actor too, to like kind yeah. of learn to roll with audiences, you know, and not feel so, uh, obviously you want to want people to enjoy what you're doing and you want to have kind of that, I don't know, I guess unspoken conversation that mm-hmm. you have with an audience during a performance, but also to sort of help you let go <laughs> of a little bit of it too. And be like, sometimes you might not pick up what I'm putting down, but that's, that's cool. Like we're going to keep going. Yeah. It was, uh, um, interestingly enough that you say that, um, you know, Vegas audiences, some of they've been drinking, they've been gambling, they've been doing things. Uh, they're allowed to take in, you know, drinks to their table. I mean, they're to the theater and they have actually like cup holders in their seats because these are modern theaters now. They're not, they weren't built in the 20s. So um, uh, 
I won't say who it was, but someone, someone who was in a, supervisor, uh, super, a supervisor role of Jersey Boys was out to see the show. And it was a small audience because it was a holiday. I forget what holiday it was. It may very well have even been um, the Super Bowl, which is obviously a, not a great seller for shows because everyone's gambling on the Super Bowl. Right. Um, but we do the show, and we're going through it. And, you know, we knew. The audience was out. They weren't into the show. Um, they were probably drinking all day. Like there was, in, you know, when the audience is out and they were out and we had a note session and understudy rehearsal and he was giving us notes. And the first thing he said was, just so you know, guys, we started the show and I get it. The audience wasn't with us. But as soon as you realized the audience wasn't with us, you gave up because huh. you didn't want. And so what happened was, is you didn't even give them a fighting chance to make it back in. And it was an unbelievable experience because he was right. And I remember him giving us that note. And when we say we gave up, of course we delivered the show and of course we were singing our best. It's not really that. It's just that we made a decision, an unspoken decision as the cast, that the people weren't listening, we thought. Mm -hmm. And so what he was saying is, because you did that, the people that were listening in the audience that could be the gel that brought this group of people together so that the end of the show that everyone was in, let go too. Huh. Um, and he was right. So it was like a, that was like a great lesson. I remember being like, "Yep, yeah, he's totally right." And we, we totally, we we let them go because we thought you're not you're not listening to us. You just care if the Patriots win. I want the Patriots to win too. We're still gonna sing Sherry. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight. That's really. Itch. I yeah. I mean, that's a great point. You know, because they're yes. I mean, That's we even advice. doing our show, right? Mm -hmm. We feel, I, I feel like we come off and we know when we've got the audience and when we don't have the audience. And I think, I, I think that we, I don't know if you were in the room when I said this. I think we had one night where we did that collectively and we were done. Um, we still delivered the show. It was still worth the price of admission. But what I think that we just let them go to that place where they were going to sit back and not lean forward because we thought they were giving up and we might yeah. have. So those people that were there that could have brought the, the team together, the, you know, the captains of the team out there, um, they, they kind of sat back too instead. Of, so, and we've only had one of those performances. I forget which one of it was. Do you remember? I feel like uh, if, it's, it was if we're thinking about the same thing, I think it was like early on. It was early in the run. It was maybe a matinee. Yeah, I feel like it was after, it was one of those difficult things where I think it was after an amazing audience. Yeah. And then it was like the next show and we were like, what? We're not funny anymore? <laughs> like, yeah, you guys aren't laughing? This is yeah. hard work. Which is not, you know, that shouldn't, that shouldn't matter. Like to your, the point of the whole story is that you keep trying to make a connection no matter what, you know, that's like a part of, of the job. The show doesn't really suffer. I won't say the show suffers. It's that energy that you're giving yeah. as a team on the stage that's saying, come with us. Please come with us. Yeah. We're having so much fun. Whereas it's just like this. This show is good. We yeah. know the show is good. That's different than come with us. Please come with us. Yeah. And, um, and so subtle. I will take that with. It's very subtle. Yeah. It's very subtle. Wow. But part of what we do and why we love what we do. Yes. But Such sometimes wisdom you just can't do you it. have. Oh God, I don't know about that. Don't follow me. Some wisdom. Um, well, on that, on the the heels of that wisdom, do you want to play a dumb game? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so here's my. Oh, I'm kind of scared. Don't be scared. I just clapped into the microphone. You did. I loved it. It's gonna be great when I edit this later. Uh, <laughs> You'll be like, we're gonna cut that right out. No. Uh, oh, it's staying in. Are you kidding? Uh, no. Claps in. Claps in. Um. Okay, so I'm laying these cards out in front of you. You can see they're very fancy cards. Yep. Like gold leaf. Um, and <laughs> you need to pick three cards. So just pick three, and then I'll explain the rest. I'll tell your future. <laughs> okay, so from those three cards, um, you need to come up with uh, some sort of production. So Should it can be like a play, a musical. It could be a movement piece. Um an opera, whatever, uh, you want to make it. And it needs to involve the three things on the card somehow. Um, and I just need to know the genre, a title, and just like a loose synopsis. Oh, my God. This is like, are you serious right now? Um, wow. Wow. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> give, I'm give, telling you a genre, mm -hmm. um, a title, mm -hmm. and... 
was the other thing? Just like a, a rough outline of the story. Okay. Do I need to tell, should I tell them what yes, was taken? Yes, please. Please share. Um, I have the following. <laughs> Lilith Fair. Uh-huh. Mozart. Mm-hmm. A baby. Of course. So I would, what I would, I think this has been done, but we'll do it new. Okay. Because anything is new, let it come from you. Is that the lyric? I think so. Everything you do, let it come from you, then, then it, it will be, be new. new. Okay, there we are. Sunday in the park. Took us a second. Okay. Sunday in the park. All right. So what I would say is that we are going to do a story that tells the life of Mozart from the point of his being a baby using all indie rock musical music from uh, women, uh, uh, like, a, like indie rock music, um, and the whole cast would be done with women. Okay. So, no, everyone will be played by a woman, even though if they're playing Mozart, one, uh, a female actor, I mean, an actress will be playing Mozart. So, the um, I don't know the life of Mozart, mm-hmm. but I'm going to start with his being born, the baby. Okay, got it. And then we're going to go through his writing, the Ninth Symphony. Excellent. Okay. The Ninth Symphony is dun-dun-dun-dun, right? Um, don't, I want you guys, to know the answer. The Fifth Symphony? You know. Be- just, that's Beethoven. No. Oh, is it? Beethoven's Oh, no, I don't know. You guys, well... We're embarrassing ourselves. No, I'm embarrassing because I don't know any Mozart music. I mean, I do if I hear it, but... I don't... Well, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't. If that... If dun-dun-dun-dun is Beethoven, which it definitely is, (laughs) then maybe there's a female character... Do they live at the same time? Probably. Sure. Um... There might be a fight between the two of them. (gasps) Ooh, okay, okay. And then... We'll play some sort of Mozart music, but the story is told all with indie rock music. Okay. But all women. All female cast. Gotta okay. be. Lilith Fair. All right. What's it called? It's called... Um, Mozart. Okay. <laughs> I, I didn't have anything good there, guys, so that's what we're going to do. Mozart the musical with a Lilith Fair twist. I think your slight eyebrow raise like was really what sold the title. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I think everyone's buying it, and I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to do it. We've already. Well, I mean, you're a the producer, are in. so I mean, yeah, you can I, make it happen. I mean, just these cards is perfect. <laughs> so, um, thank you so much for being with me. Today. Oh my god, thank you for having me. So, tell so people thrilled. where they can. So, through October 9th, which I'm not exactly sure when this is coming out, they can see you at Company yes. at Lyric Stage. Uh, where can we find you after that? Um, where can you find me after that? I'm doing a, right when I go back, I'm doing a new reading of a new musical called Up and Away, um, in New York, uh, which is actually open to the public, and I think we're doing an open to the public performance on Monday the 24th? Monday the 24th. Um, Up and Away, it's by Kevin Hammonds and Kristen Bear. I'm sure there's some sort of website. Excellent. I will find that and put it in the show notes. Yes. And then I'll be working on Trevor after that, but I'm a producer on that, not an actor. So you can't come see me in that, but you can come see the production when we open out of town in Chicago, fall 2017, theater to be named. I can't tell you what it is. Oh, great. Well, I think that's plenty of time for people to get their tickets coordinated and like lodging. Flights. To fly to Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. To go see it. Or if you're listening to this and you're in Chicago, just head on over next to fall. Then to the non-named theater yet, the but you will theater. want to come. Yes. It's an unbelievable show. Oh, that's so exciting. And then soon to follow Mozart. Oh, Mozart's just started in development. Mm-hmm. We're just in negotiations about who is going to write the music. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that we're going to go out of the box, and I think we're going to go to Melitha- Melissa Etheridge. Ooh, I love it. Okay. Yeah, okay. Maybe actually multiple star writers, like SpongeBob. I like, I like that. Uh, and you know, I mean, let me know. Sarah McLaughlin too, of course. Sean Cole for the sad songs. Who wrote Paula Cole? Oh, the Cowboys. Is that what you're thinking of? No, I was just thinking about like who wrote that song about walking on the bridge and killing yourself. Paula Cole. Oh, <laughs> I was thinking of the song "Where Have All the Cowboys Gone." Is that Paula Cole? The Cowboys. Go- I I'm singing "Where Have All the Flowers Gone," <laughs> but um, what is the Cowboy song? Where have all the cowboys gone? Yeah. Who is that? That's Sean Colvin. Is that? Oh, Sean Colvin. Okay. I think. I'm not good with knowing things right now. You guys just don't even. I think that we should probably cut out this whole part about the 
fact where I said Beethoven was Mozart. Let's forget that. <laughs> and I mean, I never said that I was going to be able to pull that out of mind. No, and it wasn't a requirement. I didn't ask you to prepare classical music history, so I, it's not my it's not my forte. And our phones are on, on airplanes, so we're out. Yeah, we can't we can't consult nope. the internet. Nope, just sorry, totally out on that. Um, okay, well, <laughs> to, to wrap up every week, I put my guests on the spot and make them come up with my sign out line uh, for the podcast. Uh, you said one earlier that I made a mental note of, and then I forgot. Oh, just do it. Like, just do it. That's Nike. Yeah. What were you saying, though, about... Oh, well, I guess we were saying just do it. We were stealing Nike's line. But what do you think? What do you got? What is the what is the line supposed to be? Like, what are we telling? What um, is- I mean, we've used Keep It Classy, Boston. I came up with that myself. It wasn't oh. that good. Uh, <laughs> um, just Giggle has been used. I mean, oh, whatever so you're feeling. Oh, so just like, it's like a little mantra? Yeah, yeah. Cash out of the 401k. Oh, cash Don't out. Don't do that. Actually, we can't leave that. The t- <laughs> cash out is a, such a bad one. How about cash in to your future? Oh, I like that. I feel like I'm interviewing Suze Orman or something. <laughs> totally. And I didn't cash out of a 401k. It was a mutual fund. So cash in to your future. Yes, do it. Thank you so much, John. You're welcome. I had so much fun. <laughs> Bye.